break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 28th of March, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show And we've got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about tightening emission standards in the United States as it concerns vehicles. We're also going to be talking about the ongoing struggle in Yemen. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to talk about bail reform and crime. All across the country particularly in New York at the moment, there is a move to roll back changes to cash bail policies that have come under increasing fire from community members as ineffective and highly discriminatory policies that did nothing more than increasingly bloat the U.S. system of mass incarceration unnecessarily. Since the tail end of 2020, however, a small uptick in crime, which is still at 40-year historic lows, has facilitated the advocates of failed law and order policies attempting a bit of a comeback here on a range of policies, but particularly bail. And cash bail has almost certainly ended up in the crosshairs because of its prominence in the popular conception of quote-unquote dangerousness as it concerns the criminal legal system. The popular assumption is bail is used as a means to make sure quote-unquote dangerous people do not get out before trial. However, since bail is based purely on your ability to pay, it has no real relationship to public safety and ends up really being something of a debtor's prison type of issue. On top of that, many people also assume that bail plays a key role in getting people to show up for court dates, which is also a very misleading form of quote-unquote common sense. Now there are new studies out from New York City, New York State, Houston, and Los Angeles, some of the largest jurisdictions in the country, reflecting similar past evidence that ending cash bail has zero effect on public safety and a negligible effect on whether or not people return for trial. Starting with New York, the first lie that is being propagated by everyone from Mayor Eric Adams to the New York Times is that cash bail has been eliminated. In fact, for most of the quote-unquote violent offenses that have driven outrage around bail issues, the alleged crimes were in fact bail eligible. As the Brennan Center for Justice details, quote, according to the new law, judges have the option to set bail in almost any case involving a violent felony. In these bail-eligible cases, a defendant must pay and assess bail or face detention. In virtually all other cases, which include most misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies, judges may release people on their own recognizance or impose some other set of conditions to ensure their return to court. Such conditions include restrictions on travel or supervision by a pretrial supervision agency, end quote. But of course, not cash bail. But secondly, and crucially, the facts do not back up the idea that bail changes that did take place are linked to increased crime. For instance, in 2020, the NYPD claimed that bail reform had led to a spike in shootings. However, as the Brennan Center points out, quote, the NYPD's own statistics proved otherwise. Between January and late June 2020, according to NYP data reviewed by The Post, it's the New York Post, just one person released under the statewide bail reform laws had been charged with the shooting. 
A new report from the New York City Comptroller has noted, quote, the data indicate that pretrial rearrest rates remain nearly identical pre- and post-bail reform. They went on to detail that, quote, in January 2019, 95% of the roughly 57,000 people awaiting trial were not rearrested that month. In January 2020, 96% of the roughly 45,000 people with a pending case were not rearrested. In December of 2021, 96% were not rearrested. In each of those months, 99% of people, regardless of bail or other pretrial conditions, were not rearrested on a violent felony charge. End quote. So again, whether you have bail or you don't have bail, only 45% of people released are going to be rearrested for anything, and only 1% are likely to be rearrested for another violent felony. The Albany Times Union took a look at the state of New York more broadly, looking at 100,000 releases since the bail reform became law, and found that, quote, just 2% of those 100,000 cases led to a rearrest for a violent felony, and of these, 429, or 0.4%, led to a rearrest for a violent felony involving a firearm. So again, the rates remain roughly the same whether you have bail or not. In Los Angeles, because of the pandemic, changes were made to bail laws to try to reduce the risk of jails becoming super spreader sites. An analysis from the city of Los Angeles, newly released, found that, quote, in the first quarter of 2021, rates of failure to appear in court and of rearrest for new offenses were below or similar to their historic average, end quote. In Harris County, Texas, home to Houston, two years ago, changes were made to bail practices around misdemeanors. What has been the result? Well, a federal monitor of a consent decree with the county laid out this year that, quote, the share of people arrested for misdemeanors who had new charges filed within one year following the initial arrest remained basically constant between 2015 and 2021. This all conforms to what other rigorous studies have found. For instance, a study of well over one million jail admissions in Kentucky found that, quote, pretrial detention for any length of time is associated with a higher likelihood of a new arrest pending trial. And further that, quote, pretrial detention for any amount of time is not consistently associated with the likelihood of failing to appear, end quote. So again, not only does bail fail to result in people being more likely to come back to court for their trial, it actually increases the likelihood a person will be rearrested if they make bail at some point during their pretrial period. So all around, it's clear that cash bail fails on the merits of its own justifications, which is certainly something to remember as the fear tactics continue to be rolled out by the police and their supporters to justify harsh law and order policies. <laughs> Saturday saw huge mass rallies in Yemen, especially in the capital of Sana'a, where hundreds of thousands gathered to oppose the Saudi-UAE war in Yemen. That has created the world's worst humanitarian crisis. The rallies were held to mark the quote-unquote National Day of Resilience, commemorating the eight years of resistance to the war by Yemeni forces. The size of the rallies was a demonstration of the main reason the ruling Houthi movement has been able to resist the massive onslaught, a clear and strong strain of support among Yemenis themselves. In fact, the war itself is a product of the fact that the Houthi movement, technically known as Ansar al-Allah, was too popular, and that the Saudi and UAE forces felt too independent from the regional designs of various Gulf states. So, with the backing of the U.S. and the U.K., the Saudi and UAE forces invaded at the head of an army of mercenaries rented from various regional militaries. The rallies came as the Houthis launched a wave of drone attacks all across Saudi Arabia a day before, targeting critical infrastructure, after which they declared a three-day ceasefire. 
The ceasefire, in their words, was an effort to show that they were open to dialogue, but only on more neutral terms than what the Saudis and the UAE have been proposing, which are talks held through the auspices of the Gulf Cooperation Council, a body that is heavily dominated by the Emiratis and the Saudis. The Saudis, however, rejected this ceasefire and launched a range of airstrikes on Yemen within hours of the ceasefire announcement. They hit a number of targets, including a medical center. That's par for the course for the Saudis, who have a policy of deliberately targeting civilian infrastructure and agricultural lands to increase the suffering in the Houthi-held areas where 70% of the population lives. 20 million people out of a population of 30 million require humanitarian assistance of some kind in Yemen, and two out of every three Yemenis are living in extreme poverty. By the second half of this year, 19 million people will likely need food aid, and 7 million are at risk of famine. So far in the conflict, 70% of those who have died are children. A recent conference to raise humanitarian funds for Yemen fell far short of its $4.3 billion goal, raising just over $1 billion. And the head of the United Nations Development Program recently stated that because of the intense focus on humanitarian issues regarding Ukraine, there is a risk that Yemen, quote, will be in part forgotten. And that will obviously be a tragedy. He went on to say that, quote, the reality is that desperation, poverty and destruction have reached a level in Yemen where the majority of the population is in one way or another unable to sustain itself anymore. Clearly, we can see that Yemen fails to evoke the same response around the world as Ukraine, despite being the far worst humanitarian crisis, precisely because there is not an anti-Western boogeyman that can be blamed. But in fact, the blame can be placed and would have to be placed squarely on the shoulders of the West and its Gulf Arab allies. It's a tragedy that this is the case, a crime, really. And it's also an important bit of hypocrisy to remember as Western governments push each other out of the way to seem like they care about Ukrainians. The U.S. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA, has revived stricter penalties on automakers as it concerns fuel efficiency, rules that have been shelved under President Trump after being rolled out by President Obama. The NHTSA rulemaking will see a sharp increase in the penalties assessed to automakers for the number of cars they make that do not meet the corporate average fuel economy, CAFE, requirements starting with the 2019 model year. As The Guardian summarizes, quote, For the 2019 to 2021 model years, the fine is $14, up from $5.50 for every 0.1 mile per gallon new vehicles fall short of required fuel economy standards multiplied by the number of non-complying vehicles sold. For the 2022 model year, the fine rises to $15, end quote. While there are penalties, there are also rewards. If you exceed fuel efficiency standards, you get credits that you can then sell to other auto companies for them to be able to offset the cost of the fines. So in other words, this increases the cost to most major car makers, but gives electric car companies like Tesla a nice little revenue stream in terms of selling the credits. The thought behind these penalties is that it will encourage car companies to produce more fuel-efficient cars and help bend the curve towards a clean energy future. Whether it will do that or not, though, is up for debate. Auto companies have, though, protested that the costs are onerous, that it could even cost them $1 billion a year. Now, beyond whether or not it's onerous, clearly the first thing these companies will do is try to pass on as much of that cost to you and I as possible, and for sure would do as much of that as they could before changing over too much of their production. But there is also the fact that it isn't onerous. $1 billion is, of course, a lot of money. But the big three automakers made $43.1 billion in profits last year alone. So clearly, the cost of complying with these penalties is really just the cost of doing business, not something that will really affect their bottom line. 
The federal government is, however, expected to raise the penalties by around 8% a year between 2024 and 2026 to try to make the pain a bit worse for big auto. And they're supposed to announce this week what those numbers will actually be. But ultimately, this entire state of affairs speaks to the limitations of regulations as it concerns addressing climate change. Given the timescale at work, only major, bolder actions that challenge the prerogatives of capitalism head-on can accomplish anything close to what is necessary to stop the Earth from being destroyed. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.